Our scripture today comes from Luke 14, the message version. One time when Jesus went for a Sabbath meal with one of the top leaders of the Pharisees, all the guests had their eyes on him, watching his every move. Right before him, there was a man hugely swollen in his joints. So Jesus asked the religion scholars and Pharisees present, is it permitted to heal on the Sabbath? Yes or no? They were silent. So he took the man, healed him, and sent him on his way. Then he said, is there anyone here who, if a child or animal fell down a well, wouldn't rush to pull him out immediately, not asking whether or not it was the Sabbath? They were stumped. There was nothing they could say to that. He went on to tell a story to the guests around the table. Noticing how each had tried to elbow into the place of honor, he said, when someone invites you to dinner, don't take the place of honor. Somebody more important than you might have been invited by the host. Then he'll come and call out in front of everybody, you're in the wrong place. The place of honor belongs to this man. Red-faced, you'll have to move your way to the very last table, the only place left. When you're invited to dinner, go and sit at the last place. Then when the host comes, he may very well say, friend, come up to the front. That will give the dinner guests something to talk about. What I'm saying is, if you walk around with your nose in the air, you're going to end up flat on your face. But if you're content to be simply yourself, you will become more than yourself. Then he turned to the host. The next time you put on a dinner, don't just invite your friends and family and rich neighbors, the kind of people who will return the favor. Instead, invite some people who never get invited out, the misfits from the wrong side of the tracks. You'll be, and experience, a blessing. They won't be able to return the favor, but the favor will be returned. Oh, how it will be returned at the resurrection of God's people. And from Mark 4, then he spoke to the people. What kind of action suits the Sabbath best? Doing good or doing evil? Helping people or leaving them helpless? No one said a word. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. You may be seated. Woo. Well, good morning, Gateway. I am so excited. I, I've come expecting that the Lord is going to meet us just like he has all weekend. Um, Saturday night has been incredible, and then the service just prior to this one was amazing, and I just know that the Lord is going to bless and anoint us as we gather here today. So many great things that are happening here at Gateway, and I'm so thankful that, uh, that uh, we were able to share a little bit of that with you. I also want to let you know a couple of other things, that uh, we have a prayer covenant partnership that is taking place, and that's been headed up by Linda Wallace. And so while we're gathering in all of our weekend services, there are people that are specifically praying for that particular service, and some of them are in those particular services, and lifting up and just praying that God would bless and anoint, that hearts and minds would be open and clear and receptive of what would be shared. So I just want to thank Linda for that. I also want to thank Jan and Michael McCracken because um, they're a vital part of that and really helping to, to launch that. Um, I know that he's not in the service here, this particular service, but David Miner was in the, in the service this morning at 8.30, and he came up very excited to share with me just before we started, uh, sharing a little bit about um, our Compassionate Ministries, and he shared how there was a number of our folks um, from Gateway, as well as Pastor Eliel and our Hispanic congregation, um, but they went out to 29 Palms yesterday to serve that church in that community, and they served over 350 meals yesterday. 
And so I just want to commend them for that as well. So, so God is good. God is moving. God is using Gateway in ways, amazing ways. So we're so thankful for that. Well, as we get into the, the text here this morning, um, if you're visiting with us for the first time, we would just encourage you uh, to go to the Connection Center, fill out that connection card that you received, and, and go to the Connection Center, and we have a little gift for you. But, but as a staff, as a pastor, I, I would love to have the opportunity to connect with you, share with you a little bit about Gateway and what we're doing and the exciting things that are happening, um, as well as uh, the, the, explain to you the new uh, wing um, that we're looking to uh, 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 build here in the near future, our children's wing. Um, so I would just love to be able to connect with you personally. In the worship folder, um, you have an abbreviated outline, and then on the back side of that is the text that we just read. Please have that there available to you. Um, I'll be referring to different verses on occasion throughout the message, and I'd love for you to be able to, to just have that where we're in synergy together as we unpack the word here this morning. I, uh, I read an article, or actually an ad, a couple of years ago, and I I just want to share it with you. I think it kind of kind of sets the tone for where we're going here today. Um, but this article or this ad a couple of years ago, it says this. A friend of mine has, has two tickets uh, for the Super Bowl. They are box seats plus airfare and hotel accommodations. He didn't realize, though, however, that when he bought them, that this was the same day as his wedding, so he can't go. So as the ad continues on, it says, so if you're interested and you would like to go instead of him, it's at St. Peter's Church in New York City at 5 p.m. Her name is Donna, and she'll be the one that will be dressed in white. It's a couple of things this morning. I love that. I love that ad. A couple of things that I want to share with you. I'm going to, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to tell you. First of all, um, we've been going through the book of Mark, um, and we'll continue to do that um, all the way up through Passion Week of, uh, of 2020, Easter Week of 2020. And I've shared with you that there's, uh, there's, there's many stories in the book of Mark, but there's only one message, and that is that the kingdom uh, of, of God is at hand, that the kingdom of God is now. Now, I know that, uh, that this text this morning is found in Luke, and so what I want to do is I just want to share a snapshot with you of uh, the, the continuance of Jesus' ministry as he's making his way, as he's journeying, making his way to the cross. But on your abbreviated outline there, there's three things, and I just want to tell you what I'm going to tell you. First of all, that, that Jesus brings healing. Jesus brings healing. Secondly, that wrong motives are revealed. Wrong motives revealed. And then thirdly, where do we place our values? Where do we place our values? Someone said, and I quote, you cannot command an emotion, but you can command an action. Understanding the difference between emotion and action, between what you feel and what you do, empowers every relationship that you have. When Jesus says, I command you to go and to love one another, he's not saying... Uh, go and do it if you feel this way. He's not saying, uh, you know, go and do it only if it works out, if it fits into the schedule. No, he's saying, go and act this way. Oftentimes when we are challenged 
to act with love, there, there seems to be this something in us. It's, it kind of seems to be something the way that, that we're wired, that, that we want to rebel, that, that we want to push back, that it, it creates tension. But if we're honest with ourselves here this morning, here today, there's probably some truth to that. That, that if we're told to go and do, there tends to be a little bit um, resistance. There are just those times where, where we just don't feel like it. And so, so we say, you know what, I, if I was to go and, and, and act in love uh, to somebody, then I would feel like it was so phony because I'm just not, I'm not into it. I, I would feel like it's very much hypocritical. But how many times do you wake up in the morning, the alarm goes off, and you wake up in the morning and you say, I don't feel like going to work. Have you ever had that happen? But you get up and you do it anyway, right? Because there's a number of things that, that are required of you, like, like rent or mortgage or utilities or, or college tuitions. There's, there's just responsibilities that you have. So, so you get up and you, you make that happen. But church, if, if we only did the things that, that we felt like doing, we probably wouldn't get much done, right? Do you think that Jesus felt like taking and carrying a cross and, and walking down the, the avenue, the roads of, of Jerusalem, the, the Via Della Rosa, uh, do, do you think that he felt like carrying the cross after being flogged and being beaten numerous times? Uh, scripture tells us that, that Jesus was put on trial a number of times, but, but there were other mock trials, and so in upwards of maybe six trials before he actually um, went to the cross where Jesus was mocked and ridiculed. Do you think that he, he felt like doing that? Do you think that he felt like dying on the cross, giving up his life? Of course not. Jesus didn't enter the Garden of Gethsemane thinking, I feel like dying on the cross in just a few hours. And, and to add to that being completely humiliated publicly, and then to add to that the, the, the wrenching burdens of, uh, of the sins of all mankind placed upon him from his heavenly Father. And then not only that, but those that were closest to him, we see it in Scripture where even his own family pushed back away from him. And then those that were the closest to, the, to him, uh, as far as uh, the disciples, they even pushed back, they even fled, and one even betrayed him. I think in Luke chapter 22, verse, verse 42, it says this, where Jesus is he's, he's referring to him praying in the garden, Father, remove this cup from me, a cup that was completely filled to the brim with pain and suffering. But church, Jesus didn't follow his feelings. And I want you to, to note that. He didn't follow his feelings. Instead, he, he prayed this prayer to his heavenly Father. But please, please, Father God, not what I want but, but what you want of me. What, what was the Father's will? The Father's will that, that he, that Jesus, should suffer and die on your behalf. That Jesus would suffer and die on your behalf. And this morning, I, I really want you to acknowledge the gift that you have been given. That Jesus Christ died on a cross 2,000 plus years ago. He shed his blood on a hill called Calvary so that you could have, that you could receive eternal life. You have been given an incredible gift. But I want to ask you this morning, what are you doing with that gift? 
Because do you wake up in the morning and, 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 and you see the world around you? You see the brokenness around you? You work with a co-worker who, who their life is just in shambles and maybe they're going through a divorce and maybe they're having trouble with their teenager and all that. And, and do you get up and you just go to work and just say, I'm just going to work in this. I'm just going to work in this and I'm not going to get involved. I'm not going to get involved. Well, Jesus died for them too. And your life needs to be a gift. It needs to be a presentation. It needs to be a, a living gospel, the, the good news, if you will, in the hearts and the lives of the people that are around you. He died and he suffered for you, my friend, my brothers and sisters here at Gateway and those that may be listening this morning. And with that determined submission, Jesus knelt down and he prayed in the garden. Scholarship believes that, that Jesus, while praying, in the garden, when he said, Father, you know, uh, take this cup, when he was praying that prayer, well, you can take that back and you can go back into the Old Testament, such as I did a while back, and you can look at the text of Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 through 7, and it talks about the four cups of, of the Passover and how they represent the, the four wills of God. So, so Jesus, just so you have this mindset, but he's saying, Father, take this cup from me, but not my will, but thy will, where there's this connection. I, I, I wanted to share this with you, but, but those four cups, the first cup would be that, 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 that God will bring us out of the, the yoke of sin. That, that there's this cup that represents the sin, the, the, the brokenness, and Jesus is acknowledging it, that there's this broken relationship and that he has come to reconcile that. So I don't feel like going to the cross, but I know that this means reconciliation with mankind and opportunity to be reconciled with their creator. And then the second cup would be that, that it represents freedom, that God will free you. God will free you from your bondage. It's a trustworthy statement. He tells us over and over again. The third cup would be, I am your redeemer. I will redeem you. The cup of redemption. And then this perspective, the fourth cup, that I will take you as my own people, that I will be your God forever and ever, the, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Church, I just want to tell you right now, but God can never be voted out of office. No matter who has a problem with it, no matter who has a beef with it, God is here. God is a God of love, a God of redemption, a God of reconciliation. And as Jesus knelt down and maybe even laid prostrate there in that garden, he was acknowledging what that cup meant or what those cups meant to the Heavenly Father and to all of mankind. Someone said this kind of love can only come from God. But for us, there, there are these moments when not a single fiber of our being feels like loving. And yet the Bible tells us to act in love anyway. How can you receive the word if, if, if you have been, not been reconciled with others? And, 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 and I just want you to think about this for just a second. Because we can't come and congregate together. We can't come and fellowship together. We can't come and open up the word together, partake of, of the word of God together if we have an attitude, if we have a problem with a fellow brother or sister. If we walk into God's sanctuary, a place of peace, a place of solace, and we have a beef, we have a problem with somebody else, then the enemy will use that as a deterrent, as a deference, as a way of, to fragment away what God intends for each and every one of you. No, you don't feel like forgiving somebody. No, you don't feel like coming to somebody and saying, I'm sorry. But scripture tells us to do it anyway. 
Because when we do, the blessings that will come when we understand and we engage with what God is doing in our lives, we never could dream or imagine the blessings that God, but we have to take action, we have to move. And you can read Ephesians chapter 3 if you'd like, but that's in essence what it's saying. I look at this text, and it tells us that it's Sabbath, that meaning that, that no one works or, or no one labors and and then Jesus is invited to, to dinner by, by, by the who's who, a, a who's who of, a, a, of the city, of the, of the town, of the village, if you will. In other words, there, there was a lot of popular people that, that were going to gather together there. And Jesus has been invited to, to come. Because verse 1, you look at it there and you can flip over that note sheet. But one time when Jesus went for a Sabbath meal with one of the top leaders of the Pharisees. You know, as I read this text over and over again... I, I looked and, and I can't find anywhere where Jesus was invited back to that house ever again. He just wasn't. You're a dinner guest once, uh, but, but you're, 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 not, you're just not coming back. It's the Sabbath. It means that, that no, one, no one works, no, no one labors. No one is to, to do anything but to just gather together. It seems like every time that, that, that Jesus spoke, it seems like every time that, that Jesus, when he was doing ministry, that he uncovered someone's hypocrisy. There never was another whose words were more closely connected to the human heart. John chapter 18, verse 37 says this, and it being Jesus, I was born and entered the world so that I could witness the truth. Everyone who cares for truth, who has any feeling for truth, recognizes my voice. So when Jesus spoke that afternoon at that dinner party, there was a division that was created. There was tension that, that entered into the picture. And, and just let me explain the reason why people had a problem with it. Because I can just imagine in the arena of my mind, but, but Jesus is invited to this house. He's invited to be the guest. And as he approaches that home, I can imagine in my mind that, that maybe the door is open and he can kind of peek in and he can kind of see all of this shuffle and all of this is going on with, with, the, with the dinner guests and those that are there and the table and they're kind of shuffling around. Who's going to get to sit next to Jesus and on and on and on. But let me point something out that, that you need to understand in this text. But for anybody to get into the home, so all of those that were already in the home and doing the shuffle, doing the dance of who's going to get to sit next to Jesus, it tells us, the scripture tells us that there was somebody with a malady, somebody that, that was physically ailing, somebody that was hurting, laying there or sitting there on the sidewalk up to that home, to that threshold. And so that tells me that people that were already inside trying to figure out who's going to sit next to Jesus either had to walk over that person or around that person to get in the house. So there was no concern for the need that was in front of the home. And when Jesus comes as the invited guest, he sees a problem very, very quickly. People are more concerned about the shuffle of the table than they are about the needs that are out in front. And so Jesus starts to, to confront that. John 10, verse 27 says this, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. Those who are not of the truth or walking in the light do not have the eyes to see or the ears to hear. John chapter 8, verse 12. 
Once again, Jesus addressed them saying, I am the world's light. No one who follows me stumbles around in the darkness. I provide plenty of light for you to live in. John chapter 8 verse 43. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. Why? Because you are choosing not to listen. Does it kind of sound like the world in which we live right now? John chapter 8 verse 47. He who belongs to God hears what God says. The reason that you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. So get this, in this text, the, the first thing that Jesus does is that he heals this man that is sitting or lying at the front door. The one everybody has tripped over to get to their place of competition. Competition meaning who's going to get the, the social spot next to Jesus? Who's going to get their name in the paper? In other words, th there was this great concern about themselves versus kingdom building and what Jesus represented. They also loved the fact that they didn't have to help the man because it was the Sabbath and it would be considered working. Now, I just want to tell you, we, we look at that and we go, how ridiculous is this story? But can I just tell you that we need to be very careful and we need to really, really diligently dig into the weeds of our own lives and in our own hearts because how many times has the Lord asked us or prompted us to go and to serve him or to serve the people around us and we rationalize reasons why we can't. We rationalize the reasons why we can't engage. And so here, these folks, the dinner guests, they have no problem because if they were to take and engage with this man, then they would be working, that they would be laboring. And Jesus called them out on that. Now, I just want to share this with you here today. But at, here at Gateway, we, we, have a, we have a mission statement, we have a vision statement, and we have a rally cry. And our mission statement is that we are called up collectively as a family in this church that's been placed up on this hill to be a light in the community, that we are to love God, to love others, and to serve the world around us, locally, internationally, whatever that means. We also have a vision statement to, go, to know God and to make him known. And then we have a rally cry that, that we are to be a people here in this community that we go out and, and we bring people in. We love people. We meet them where they're at. We do life together. Young families, people that are in the community. You know what, church? There's a lot of churches in this, in this community, wonderful, amazing churches, but not everybody that, that is in this community is attending church. Not everybody in this community is seeking God. And so therefore, the harvest is plentiful, but the question this morning is, is are you willing to take action? Are you willing to move in such a way that God is saying, move now, move now, because lives, lives are depending on what you do or what you do not do. So I mentioned our vision statement, mission statement, and rally cry. So if I was to ask somebody here this morning, not to put you on the spot, but what is our rally cry, mission statement, vision statement, would you be able to say it? And I told the, the service uh, uh, just a few moments ago, but I said, you know what? Maybe it'd be one of those things where we just get ourselves to where we actually know and engage so that any time, then I could just point to somebody and say, would you just stand and just give us our mission statement? Or would you just stand and please just tell us what our rally cry is? Would you tell us what our vision statement? And they kind of laughed and I said, but, but you know what? Take me seriously. Because wouldn't it be awesome if we all, it was just something that, that was just second nature to us. 
What is our mission as a church? What is our vision as a church? What is our, what is our rally cry so that we are unified together to do kingdom building purposes? They, they love the fact that they didn't have to help this man because it was the Sabbath and, and they would be considered working. So Jesus poses a question. He poses a question. Look at it, verse 3. Jesus asked the Pharisees and the experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? And you probably could have heard a pin drop because it was, it, I'm sure it was silent. It is what I call one of those uh-oh moments or, or, or one of those oh-no moments. They had been found out. They had been discovered. Their, their motives were uncovered. We, we've all been there, haven't we? We've been there before where we know that there's been this prompting and we haven't engaged or, or we've said one thing and we've, we've done another and, and then we've been found out. Romans chapter 6 verse 1. So what do we do? Do we keep on sinning so that God can keep on forgiving? I should hope not. Friends, Jesus died for each and every one of us. He died for those in need at the door as well as those who think that they have it all together and whose motives are clearly wrong. Let's just understand, but he, he died for those that were even in competition of where they were going to sit at the table. And I say, thank you, Lord, that, that, that you are willing to give up your life for me and the choices that I make and for the choices that, that you make and the choices that, that all of us have made, that he is a loving, compassionate God and he is not detoured. And wouldn't it be amazing if we as a people could really embrace that and engage that and say that I will I will uphold my faith that I will trust in God regardless of any difficulty or any dart or spear that the enemy could throw at us. Because I got to tell you, greater is he that is in me, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. God will t tells us that he will never leave us nor forsake us and the enemy is going to come. When you stand up and you carry that banner, when you take the, the sword of the spirit, when you take and you say that I am for God, the enemy is going to hit you and he will hit you hard. Are you with me so far this morning? To be a believer in Christ does not mean that it's easy road or comfort road. It, it, it's anything but that. Romans chapter 5 Verse 6, he presented himself for the sacrificial death that when we were too far weak and rebellious to do anything to get ourselves ready, and even if we hadn't been so weak, we wouldn't have known what to do anyway. We can understand someone dying for a person worth dying for, and we can understand how someone good and noble can inspire us to, to selfless sacrifice. But, but God put his love on the line for us by offering his son in sacrificial death that while we were of no use whatsoever to him, he sent his son to die for us. So imagine the scene. Jesus is standing at the door and all of the dinner guests were seated at the table. And I could just imagine Jesus speaking from the door as he says in verse 5, look at it. Is there anyone here Hello, maybe he just shouted it into the house. Is there anybody here that if, if you saw a child or an animal that has fallen down a well, that you would not rush to him or her and pull them out immediately, not asking, not being looking to see it or reflecting if it was Sabbath or not. That verse continues by saying that they were stumped, that there was nothing that they could say to that. 
It was one of those, uh uh-oh, but it was one of those gotcha moments. See, Jesus was challenging them. You are looking to your own interests, things that are valuable to you. And when it comes to another person's needs, misfortune or illness, is the law, are you using the law as a tool of convenience to protect you from investment or involvement? Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, Jesus sharing, the world is full of so-called prayer warriors who are prayer ignorant. They're full of formulas and programs and, and advice. They're peddling techniques for getting what you want from God. And, and Jesus says, do not fall for any of that nonsense. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19 We have this hope as an anchor for the soul. It's firm and it's secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. Friends, we are in this world, but we are not of this world. And we are to be a light. How many of you remember a number of years ago when when Haiti had that, that horrendous, that very tragic earthquake? I remember watching it on the news time and time again because all these reports were, were coming out and a, a good friend of mine, a pastor friend of mine, he had felt compelled. The Lord was laying on his heart to, to go to Haiti to, to minister. He actually took a team there. And if I recall correctly, they literally got back within just a couple of days and, 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 and this, this earthquake hit. And he has such a love for the people of, of Haiti that he's even adopted a few children into his family with, with, with his, already with his children, he and his wife. It's, it's, a, it's a beautiful story, but I don't know if you saw this story, but as they were, they were showing all of the devastation and things, but they showed this one man who, who had gone out and he found this pile of rubble. And here's this man, he was a faithful man. And he sat by a pile of rubble. And they say that for six days, he sat there and he just cried out, God, if there is any life, if there is a heartbeat, if there's a pulse, if there's any life that is laying underneath this pile of rubble, would you please somehow, some way, give me a sign so that I can go get them help? And six days in, somehow there was a, a, a tap of a, of a rock or there was a soft-spoken voice or something, but he knew that there was life that was still there and he went and got the rescue teams and they came and they started to take the, the piles, those old rocks off of that pile And there they found a woman who was very much alive. And as they extracted her out of that pile, she was singing Christian hymns as they moved her out of that. A similar story with another person set beside a pile of rubble for 15 days. Same scenario. And after 15, the 15th day, day 15, they extracted a young teenage gal out of there who was still alive. We, church, need to understand that there are people that are living on the other side of our obedience. So what we choose to do or not to do could radically impact or change a life or have eternal impact or consequence in those that live in the world around us. Catch this. This is so awesome. But the first thing that Jesus did was not go in for dinner. The first thing that that he did was he heals the man. So Jesus brings healing. Then secondly, he addressed their wrong motives. Wrong motives were revealed. And then thirdly, where do we place, where do we place our values? Where were they placing their values? See, Jesus undressed the pride of the dinner guests. 
He had been watching them come in and, and from the get-go he was watching the dance that, that, that was taking place. He looks to see what it is that they love. And someone said, Jesus always watches until he knows where our treasure is. Because where your treasure is, is where your heart is. And Jesus wants your heart. Can I get a witness in the house here this morning? Jesus wants all of you, not a part of you. He doesn't want this negotiation. The very creator that created you with his own two hands wants all of you to be used for the glory of his good. Their treasure was in the pursuit of the praise of men. They moved in and out of, of conversations, trying to, to go unnoticed by, by vying for the best seats in, in the house. Henry Nowen says, and this is a powerful quote, and, and I have it there on your, on your sheet there, your note sheet, but Henry Nowen says, and I quote, as long as we are occupied and preoccupied with our desire to do good, but are not able to fill the crying need of those who suffer, our help remains hanging somewhere between our minds and our hands and does not descend into the heart where we can care. End quote. Hello, church. Nobody fools Jesus. They didn't, and you and I never will. What does Jesus think about the guest who, whose treasure is the praise of men? Well, let's just, let's just hear his response, Jesus' response. And you can look in Luke chapter 14, verse 43. This is what he says to, to those that are not of kingdom building are not self-serving. He says, you're hopeless, you Pharisees. You're frauds. You love sitting at the head of a table at church dinners. You love printing yourselves in the radiance of public flattery. You're frauds. You're just like unmarked graves. People walk over that nice grassy surface, never suspecting the, the rod and the corruption that is taking place six feet under. In Luke chapter 20, verse 46, with everybody listening, Jesus spoke to his disciples and he said this. He says, watch out for religious scholars. They, walked, they love to walk around in their academic gowns, preen in the radiance of public flattery, bask in prominent positions, sit at the head table at every church function. And all the time they are exploiting the weak and the helpless. The longer their prayers, the worse they get but they'll pay for it in the end. Luke chapter 14, look at it, verse 11 in our text. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Verse 11 of our passage, verse 11 in the message translation, it says this, if you walk around with your nose in the air, you're going to end up flat on your face. But if you're content to be simply yourself, you will become more then yourself. Church, God's got a plan. And I truly believe this, but when we seek Him first, seek ye first the kingdom of God, when we seek Him first with all of our whole hearts, wholeheartedly, I think that there are just blessings that, are, that, are, that He's just waiting to afford us. I think that He's wanting us to trust Him. I think that there's a faith factor here. Oftentimes we want to white-knuckle everything. We just want it in, a, in the cognitive portion of our mind. We, we just want to be able to, to figure it out and then say, yes, God, I will because I know how this will turn out. He is saying, trust me. Have faith that I can move. Have faith that I can move mountains. And I love in the text, but he says, have faith the size of a mustard seed one of the smallest seeds of a plant. Have that kind of faith and see what I can do in you and through you. Thanks for hanging in here. I'm almost done.
Jesus has already taught an awesome message, but he's not quite done yet. Look at verses 12 through 14. Then he turned to the host and he says, the next time you put on a dinner, don't just invite your friends and family and rich neighbors, the kind of people who return the favor. Invite some people who never get invited out, the misfits from the wrong side of the tracks. You'll be and experience a blessing. They won't be able to return the favor. No, they won't be able to return the favor, but the favor will be returned. Oh, how it will be returned at the resurrection of God's people. I could just imagine that some of those that were in at the dinner party, that maybe now they're starting to draw attention now out to what's taking place in the forefront of the house, the threshold of the house. And I could just imagine somebody saying, what, what kind of a person is this? What kind of a request is this? Who on earth can talk like this? Answer, the one who desires that it is on earth as it is in heaven. That's who can make those kind of comments. Imagine someone there in that crowd saying, who has the right to say such things? Answer, someone who knows, because in James chapter 4, verse 14, it says, your life is like a mist. You can see it for a short time, but, but then it goes away. In essence, what, is, what are you doing with the life that you have? Jesus is the man here this afternoon. This particular occasion, he, he, he is the man. He's always the man. But no one ever spoke like him. And, and, and people who call him Lord, uh, uh, it, they, it, they see and realize that he's not like any other person. John 3.16, God didn't go to all of this trouble sending his son to merely point out an accusing finger, telling the world how bad it was, he came to help to put the world right again. And as I close, and as the worship team is coming, and as I close, hear me when I say this, there are some who, whose only shallow focus and reaction to Jesus' words will be, surely he can't mean that. Or surely that's not directed to me. And maybe some of the only thing that you heard this morning is, is Pastor Joe saying that we can no longer have church dinners? That's not what I'm saying. That, that we have to figure out where we're going to sit and who with who? That's, that's not what I'm saying at all. But listen, church, there are, there are people who will spend all of their energy trying to diffuse the Lord's word. Actually, this very text, they, they have worked so diligently to try to bend his word, to, to try to find a way out that, that we can't work on the Sabbath. But it's not going to happen. We need to understand that, that in our own lives, but it's not going to happen. Many, like the Pharisees, will try to manipulate. They will try to manipulate God's word. They will try to take and preserve things that, that, that aren't tradition and are not of God, but they will try to push an agenda of convenience. We'll see that, and we are seeing that in the world in which we live here today. Those that struggle with the word of God, the very breath of God, their very creator, try to dismiss because of the corruption of the human heart. The carnal heart says, do things that will pay off for you and for your convenience, your undisturbed pleasures, your domestic comfort, and your social tranquility. But I want to share with you this morning that Matthew 22, verse 37 says this, Jesus speaking, I want you to love the Lord your God with all of your passion and with all of your prayer and with all of your intelligence. This is the most important, the first on any list. But there is a second, church, to come alongside of it. Love others as well as you love yourself. 
these two commandments are pegs. Everything in God's law and the prophets hang from them. This morning we need to understand that Jesus' words are radical. Why? Because our sin is radical. And he wants to address it. He wants to change it. He wants to move us in a new direction. Oh, this word is powerful this morning. Do not allow it to escape you. This is the word of the Lord this morning. Blessings, truth.